Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. And now, enjoy our latest episode. Okay, this is what we're learning from the public, and this is what they're looking for. This is their needs and wants. How do we marry that with journalistic values so we can address their needs and show them this is why we're different and why it is trustworthy? It's difficult to make this not sound hyperbolic, but trust in media is at an all-time low. How can journalists change that perception? I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Sally Lehrman is a Peabody Award-winning journalist and founder and CEO of The Trust Project, a nonprofit global consortium of news organizations responding to the crisis of trust and misinformation, which is something we've talked a lot about on this podcast. Sally, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. I'm so delighted to have you here. The Trust Project is a pretty great thing. I think you're doing some good work. So really happy to have this opportunity to talk about it. So it's a start off with, you know, tell me a little bit about, about your journalist journey. You know, what got you interested in journalism and in the news industry? Well, I was interested. I always read the news, actually, because my parents were what I would call engaged news users and subscribed to a couple, three newspapers. But I didn't imagine myself a journalist. I did kind of notice the importance of how things that happen in the public sphere matter so much to the public and that we should be aware of them. So the incident that really brought that to my mind and heart was when geneticists decided to, to step back from the recombinant DNA work they were doing. And they had this big conference at Asilomar, California, and said, you know, this technology is getting ahead of us. And we're going to stop for a minute and think about the ethics. And to me, that was so powerful. And I thought, wow, it's so great that they did that. And it's so great that they told us, the public. So that was one thing. And then when I was in college, I had kind of had this idea of being a writer with a capital W, not a journalist. And I got a job at the Daily Cal, UC Berkeley's paper. And it was just such great people working there. And I learned so much. So like many people who are in journalism today, I got my real start at a college newspaper and learned my way into the field that way and also um, just really could see the power and the importance of the press through both of those two events in my life. In talking about the first event, I think you kind of, I think it's sort of evidence that you had an interest in science. And I guess that's, was that where you were, you thought you were heading maybe? One of my many options. So I did, I wanted to be like a wildlife biologist, but I didn't quite know how to do that. And I did actually work on a, for the a U.S. Forest Service on a trail crew for a week, but I got hazed as the only woman on the crew. And I also got injured, but a stick poked in my eye. And then I wanted to be a farmer. And I realized that's kind of hard when you, in California anyway, unless you have a lot of land. And I was going to do this kind of writing with a capital W on the side. And so I became a writer. I was able to marry my interests by becoming a science journalist. So I, my career has mostly been covering business and science and often the business of science. So I did end up covering the biotechnology industry here in California and genetics. The thing about being a science journalist is, I mean, truth, facts, we're all supposed to be journalists dealing with truth and facts, but your scientific audience, they want a certain level of 
like understanding and, and content. And, you know, if you're just spewing things that you can't support in some way, they're not going to recognize that you as a, as somebody who is, who can be trusted, I guess. Yeah, well, you're right. Science journalism is very challenging. And yet we don't always recognize that as an industry. Like oftentimes in radio, for instance, you'll have in other fields, other parts of the news industry, you'll have GA reporters being asked to cover fairly complicated scientific topics. And so for me, I was really glad that I was able to concentrate on the science within business and develop an expertise. So I could talk to geneticists, I could use their language, they would then have more trust in me and confidence that I could then communicate what they were doing to the public. And at the same time, like I had one scientist who said, oh, don't worry, I'll just dumb it down. And I'm like, no, don't dumb it down. If you want to ensure that it's wrong, then dumb it down. If you want to ensure that it's right, then tell me or any other journalist, all the information, make sure we understand it so that we can not dumb it down, but explain it in understandable ways. Yeah. So what led you to create the Trust Project? Well, I started the Trust Project. I was a freelance journalist and I'd been, but I also had an appointment at a university, Santa Clara University on a five-year endowed chair. And I had been kind of involved in not just doing journalism, but working within journalism to hold us to our highest values, if you will. And the, the organization that really helped me kind of think about the possibilities of changing journalism and doing that work, helping us be our, the best of journalism, was Society of Professional Journalists. And I had been involved in SBJ at the local chapter level and also in the national board and the national foundation board. By the time I got to this job at Santa Clara University and I, as the NorCal president for a couple of years, I had convened a group of senior news leaders in what we call new media at the time, because we thought SBJ wasn't addressing like this important, amazing new field that was coming out of journalism. And so we decided, well, we're going to do something here in Northern California. And I brought together all these leaders and we talked about, well, how do we differentiate journalism from everything else that's coming out there? How do we adhere to our ethics? And so what kind of made me decide, well, we really need to do something about this was while I was at Santa Clara, I thought, well, I'm going to convene these people again, and we're going to have some of these same discussions, and I'm going to make it bigger and make it national. And the Markless Center for Applied Ethics said, yeah, we'll support you, talk about ethics. And I was hearing the same things that we were talking about a decade or more before. So we were talking about, well, we're so reliant on metrics. So we think we have to write these clickbait headlines or the woman who invented the idea of showing mugshots on a website, on a news website or celebrity photos. She got up and said, you know, I wish that I had never done that because now everyone's doing it and it just degrades perceptions of journalism. And so I had kind of structured this whole meeting actually around the SPJ code of ethics. And I realized, geez, like we're running into, we're just talking about the same stuff. We haven't solved this problem. We need to do two things. One is we need to figure out how to go back to adhering to our ethics and, and not kind of sink to what we're seeing in this new digital space. 
And we need to teach the technology platforms how to improve their met. We called it metrics back then, but really their algorithms. And I talked to a couple people that I knew in technology, one of whom had been on that original executive roundtable on new media ethics. His name is Richard Gingras, and he had become very high level in Google. And he said, well, yeah, you can do that. You just have to train the algorithm. You have to tell the algorithm what quality journalism looks like. And he said, we'd be really interested in that. And then I also talked to a guy I knew at Twitter. He's like, same thing. I just have to train the algorithm. And I thought, oh, okay. So turned out to be a, a bit more complicated than I thought. And part of training the algorithm was really trying to define what journalism is and how is it distinct from all this other stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the question. And it's funny, you know, when did the two conferences take place? Yeah. The one where I really thought, geez, I have to, we need to do something about this seriously and quit talking about it was in 20, 2013, I believe, 2012, 2013. The one before that was in the late 90s. Oh, with the very early arrival of digital. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was when we were worrying about all these bloggers coming in pretend, sorry, saying that they were journalists, saying that they were journalists. <laughs> so, yeah. Huh. And then the other piece was the public, because we had been talking about this. We were worried about this decline in trust and news. And I could see from what we saw online and from the conversations that a lot of it did have to do with us. That, like I said, these clickbait headlines and celebrity photos and also not paying attention to big sectors of the public. And so I thought well, we've been talking about this among ourselves for a long time. And as a Knight Fellow at Stanford, I had the kind of the privilege of, of learning about their ongoing programs there. And I learned about this concept of user-centered design. So I thought, great, this is a way we can go out to the public and actually talk to them and use this process to understand what it is they actually value in the news and how do they decide whether to trust it or not. And then we could, and we did bring together news executives from the US and Europe and some Latin America and Canada and say, okay, this is what we're learning from the public. And this is what they're looking for. This is their needs and wants. How do we marry that with journalistic values so we can address their needs and show them this is why we're different and why it is trustworthy. And out of that emerged the actual trust project and the eight trust indicators that all of our news sites implement. So what was it that you heard from the people when you went to go talk to them and get feedback and how they were consuming news? What was so interesting is that we talk to people across a lot of different dimensions. So we use race, class, gender, generation, and geography. Those are the Maynard Institute fault lines and ask them those fundamental questions. And yet there was a lot of similarity about what people were saying in, in Europe and the US. And some of the things that would come back to us with were, well, we understand that journalists aim to be impartial, but nobody's impartial. So tell us what your agenda is. And they might say, or they did say, we see an opinion and news kind of seem to be merging and we can't tell the difference. And we're not even sure journalists tell the difference, can tell the difference. So please tell us, please separate those things. They wanted to know more about how a news story was built, as they would put it, like what were our sources and 
like more than just links in a story, but who did we consult? How do we go about reporting? Questions like, do you know me? And do you know my community? Were you here? Or did you just report it from a desk in New York or San Francisco or wherever? We heard a lot of interest in what we now call our diverse voices trust indicator. And remember, this was quite a while ago when we did this research and people were saying, we want to see more of ourselves in the news. Like in Europe, we heard uh, several times, we don't want to just hear from voices at high levels of business and government. We want to hear about people like us. And then they also said, we want to hear from people and about people who are different from us. We heard a lot of around this idea that journalism or news helps us understand one another and bring us together. And when I told editors about that shortly thereafter, they were a bit surprised by that one. So these things then ended up being folded into what we call these trust indicators. And for instance, the agenda. Well, what is our agenda? Our agenda is to serve the public. Our agenda is to inform the public so that People can make decisions about their own lives, their communities, their governments in a way that is based on fact and also provide the foundation for debate. So we have certain guardrails that help us do that, that help us avoid conflict of interest, that make sure that we reach out to those who are less heard in society. And so that's what we ask news sites to present to the public is what are their ethics codes? What are their principles around things like unnamed sources or diverse voices? You know, at this point, you know, in 2023, I'm not surprised by some of that information. I think that's become certainly the talking points for a lot of newsrooms and a lot of journalists over the last, you know, five or 10 years, you know. If we want to have any type of audience to listen to our whatever it is we're creating or whatever news that we're reporting, it shouldn't be just that we need to know where they live. We need to be where they live. We need to reflect who they are. And that sort of hinges partially on the on the diversity angle. I think I think a lot of these problems are are economic. It's also the you know how digital technology has changed our role in the news in that the technology that had given us the ability to report stories in sometimes in better and more different ways and reach more people, a lot of those tools are accessible to everybody. And, well, that's some, right. and sometimes they're accessible to people who, for lack of a better word, are called bad actors who are working against the truth. Yeah, I would agree completely. And and what's interesting is that when we when I first started the Trust Project and would go talk to newspapers, large and small and broadcast media, there was resistance to some of these things. So publishing your ethics policy sounds really normal. Now, at that time, it was, well, that's going to open us up to legal trouble. Like then we're going to be sued if we don't follow our ethics policies or diverse voices was also, as I said, a surprise. And even providing more about references, methods, labels, all those things have been in negotiation and now are becoming more common. Journalist expertise, that's something that people told us, we really want to know more about this journalist. Because if you think about it, trust is a relationship. So people would say, you know, tell us about the journalist. And now we see that journalist profiles are very common. Well, they were not at the time. It was, I don't think anybody, hardly anyone did it. So there's that. And then what you're saying, too, so there's our own evolution within news about being more transparent, 
And that leads to trust. And then there is also the kind of broader territory that you're talking about, which has created more confusion on the part of the public about who am I really listening to or watching or reading. And I think there's two factors there. One is, yes, the technology that enables anybody and everybody to be a so-called journalist or to set up a news a site that looks like a news site. But there's also this problem of trust that as trust declined in journalism, that made room for all this other stuff to flood in and say, trust me instead, or I'm going to provide you honest, accurate news and don't pay any attention to that thing that's calling itself the news media. In a way, I feel we've created this problem. It is definitely a technology issue, but we did play a role and it's important that we acknowledge that. Yeah. When I went back to college and and got my master's in, in digital journalism, one of the things that, one of the concepts that came kind of early well, actually, there are two. The first one was this idea of the community, you know, journalist. At that time, 2012, that was the, you know, that was a phrase that was going around a lot. That is what you're doing the same as the person who's down there, you know, with their phone posting crash photos on Twitter. You know, there was debate back and forth with that. But now, 10 years or so in hindsight, things like George Floyd's murder wouldn't have become a story if people hadn't been on the street and shooting that video and posting it. Are they journalists? They're part of the journalism or the media spectrum in some way. And the other concept was this idea that when digital technology came, it eliminated our role as the broadcaster. You know, we were at the pulpit and whatever news we were delivering, we were, it was a one-way street. I kind of smiled when you said, you know, what you realized that you needed to do was Let's hear what people have to say, because that's the other thing that, that I think is, has been very powerful in the last 10 years or so is the realization that newsrooms, in order to survive, they need to understand their audience. They, they need to be made up of people of that audience, and they need to be in those communities. That's a huge thing as far as trust goes. That's right. And the other thing I thought you were going to go in the direction of, too, that they need to engage more with the public. So they need to represent and reflect and include and also engage. And this this is one of the trust indicators because people were asking for that and saying, like, we don't want to just have all this news kind of thrown at us. We want to play a role. And that is part of the digital environment as well, that people were starting to get kind of trained into an experience that you are a part of, not you're not just sitting back and watching your television. And we've seen some great projects since then of public engagement. I know, for instance, KPCC in Los Angeles area does some wonderful user engagement work. There are others as well. And then there still are some news organizations that they think public engagement is having an email where you can write your request for a correction. And that email might not even have anybody really monitoring it. So we still have a ways to go. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the indicators and how that sort of works, how the Trust Project is sort of accomplishing its mission. We started off just working with these news executives and and working with the public information we had or the information from the public, the research. And we developed these eight trust indicators that respond to these public needs and wants and can be shown on your site page and an article. So there are actual transparency disclosures, and they're not anything that would be extremely surprising. They're the things we just talked about, but it's say on your article page, 
you would have next to the byline a link to a journalist page. And there's a certain amount of specific information we would ask for there that connects up to what people were asking for then and in more recent research. There's your best practices page, which might be your about page that has certain kinds of information. Every article has that's not obviously a news story, which would be the default, would have both a label that says like this is an opinion piece or this is a type of paid content. And then there is a definition. Both labels and definitions are shared by news organizations around the world that are part of the Trust Project. So hundreds of news organizations. And then related to that, it's like every single piece, there is a user-facing side and then there is a machine-readable signal connected to it. I was just talking with someone from Google this morning, like you've got your label opinion, then it is included in the markup or the HTML code associated with that article. And then it's available to any machine readable system or machine system like particularly, I mean, our targets, of course, would be Google, Facebook, Bing, Twitter at the time, and, and now more of these other new entries that have come in, in the next, the last three or five years. So what we wanted to do was help train these technology systems to recognize quality journalism or journalism that is trustworthy is probably a better word. And then we also wanted the public to be able to see on any news page or any news site to be able to see, okay, this is coming from a source that is making it clear who they are, who's behind them, how they're funded, and all these other elements that we knew were important to the public. And one thing I, I want to say about that too is it's not us going in and giving the good housekeeping seal of approval to a story and like reading it or fact checking it. There are fact checking organizations and they do great work. What we're doing is really goes back to those principles of what journalism is all about. And that is giving the public the tools to make their own decisions about this is trustworthy, this is not, based on the things that are most important to them. And also, I will repeat, based on journalistic values, not just anybody saying, like, here's a piece of information, you should trust it. But instead, like, I might care a lot about journalistic ethics. Maybe you care about that, but you care more about ownership. And so you can look at these different indicators and evaluate according to what matters to you most. And you can also take them beyond the trust project into any arena where you're looking at information. So how are members of the public sort of able to understand that this site is part of the trust project and another site may not be? Once a site goes through our process, so they have to apply, they have to get reviewed, and there's that whole front end of the process. And then we actually train a news organization, the, the leaders there, to add the trust indicators. We work in cohorts, so they're learning about one another's practices and swapping ideas. And then when they come out of that process, we do a compliance check and see whether everything's there and it's all up to par. And then they get to place the trust mark, we call it on their pages. So it's a logo that has the T for trust project. And then every article page will have that trust mark logo and some words to the effect that we are part of the trust project or we adhere to trust project principles or read our standards as a news organization next to that trust project logo. And that's how a user can see, okay, they are part of the trust project. And then they'll read a little bit about it on the best practices page. 
Is there a mechanism whereby the the user can provide feedback on that, saying, "Hey, you know, I'm familiar with this story, and this is not what it is," or maybe there's something lacking in the story? Yeah, well, that's important, and that happens at two levels. And I want it to go deeper because the vision was originally I thought, well, we want to like we're trying to serve the audience. We want to involve them in the design of this, and at the end, I'd like to keep them involved and now bring them more involved. So at the very basic level, one of the trust indicators is we call it actionable feedback. So it's getting beyond this idea of, can I just ask for a correction, but is the site really listening to me? So every new site should be doing things if they're part of the trust project to actually engage and provide a pathway for people to offer those concerns directly to the news partner. Because our goal is to make sure That is the place where change should be happening. If they're unhappy with the news organization, they're not getting a response at all, let's say it feels like it's just going into a black hole, then right now they can reach out to us directly and tell us we do have a system and a process for letting the site know. And even if there is a serious complaint, then evaluating it and deciding, well, maybe like, is there some action we want the site to take? So more than a correction, but if there's something more more serious. Ultimately, I would like to create a system as we get more deep in our own technology here at the Trust Project, a system that would enable the public to actually weigh in and provide comments and suggestions related to our individual sites, I mean, our participant sites. That's what I would love to see initially or eventually. Right now, they can also go to our website and they will see information about most of our sites and eventually all of them. And there's a space right there that they can click on a CTA and they can go right to the page where they can get to the public editor or whoever is responsible for that. They also can click a button that will take them right to subscribe or become a member or support the site in some other way. Before I wrap up, I did want to ask you about the Trust Project recently received some Additional funding from Craig Newmark, the founder of Craigslist. How is that money going to be used to sort of move your project forward? Yes. Well, we are just so grateful to Craig Newmark. And he actually was the first person, the first funding funder to believe in my vision of what we could create here. And so he was our original funder, not at the, the level that he just came in at, which was really exciting and will allow us to do so much more. What it will allow us to do is hire more people to support our new incoming news sites more. We found that that is a really important part of what we do. Like we're not just giving reviewing stuff and giving a stamp of approval or not. We are in fact working with everybody to share best practices and improve collectively. So that's one. Another is to improve the technology that we have, and it's it's nothing you know that sophisticated. It's just a way to enable news partners and incoming news partners to access our documentation more easily and also to provide some new benefits to our partners. So one benefit of being a Trust Project news partner is that we do work with the tech platforms and they will recognize this markup that's on every page. Another element is we know advertisers really would like to be next to trustworthy news is because of that a lot of them ran away from news a couple of years ago and we're still trying to lure them back in. 
So with this new technology we're building, it will create a trustworthy marketplace, if you will, for advertisers to be able to access trustworthy news. Yeah, that'll have a big impact. Sally, thank you very much. This is really great. I'm I really appreciate the work that the Trust Project is doing. Trust is the overarching thing. There are lots of different elements that touch on it. At the end of the day, unless we get people to trust the content that we create, <laughs> and we're not going to be around. Or we'll be around, but we'll just be untrusted and, and not good. So anyway, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about this and, and share ideas and have your guests listening. And if anybody wants to learn more, they can go to thetrustproject.org and feel free to reach out to me directly. I, I just really love the, the engagement that we've been able to have with news organizations who have just really stepped up to try to solve this problem. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Belefsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.